Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. So it's still the new year and many of you may have intentions around your health this year. I know that's something that I'm really intentional about this year is really carving out more time for myself and my self-care and really slowing down to listen to my body and to listen to what she needs because I've been so attuned to another little person's body for almost two years now. One of the most fundamental parts of our physical health is our gut. I've had different experts on to talk about gut health and different just medical health experts on and everybody comes back to the gut. So I wanted to bring on Josh Deck, who's going to talk to us in depth about gut health why it's so important and what we can do to improve our own gut health. So Josh is an ex-paramedic and holistic nutritionist specializing in gut health. It was the successes his clients have had with complex digestive diseases previously thought to be impossible to cure that got him connected to some of the world's most renowned doctors. Since then, he's been recruited to the Priority Health Academy as a medical lecturer, helping educate doctors on the holistic approach to gut health and complex digestive issues. So whether you have some digestive issues or you're just looking to improve your overall gut health, you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I also want to thank my sponsor for this week, which is Organifi. That's another great way to kick off your new year, get your health on track in an easy way with Organifi Green, Organifi Red, Organifi Gold. You're nourishing your immune system. You're getting antioxidants. You're nourishing your nervous system and it tastes really great. You can trust the ingredients. Organifi really sources from the best places. Get 20% off any of your orders, first time or 20th time at Organifi.com slash over it, or use promo code over it at checkout at Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. All right. And now on to my conversation with Josh Deck. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Christine, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So at this time of year, as we're going into the new year, this is when a lot of people make a lot of health affirmations and start to maybe have one last binge through the holidays and then start to want to get healthy, you know, eating better, exercising, all that kind of thing. I mean, I have my whole theory on new year's resolutions. I don't think they work, but it is a great motivator for a lot of people. And when we're looking at changing our health, what do you think the first thing we should look at is? It's funny. I think we probably share some of the similar sentiments around New Year's resolutions Mm. (laughs) for a lot of the same reasons I imagine. But when it comes to our health, the first thing is how, what I'd say is how ancestral or how natural of a life we're living because it influences everything. You know, are we sitting indoors? Are we not getting sunshine? Are we not exposing ourselves to fresh air? You know, are we sitting in front of computers all day? Those are not how humans are ever meant to live and we're not meant to survive and thrive that way. And so if that's all we're really doing, that's the first thing I'd look at. Mm, mm. When you look at like the overall health profile of someone, what are the key markers you look at? Because I think a lot of people think that if you just look good, you're healthy, Mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily true. How do you know how healthy you actually are? It's interesting because I often look at people, it's going to sound really judgy. It's kind of my job to judge people. (laughs) I do it professionally. And so 
what I try to do to look and see if somebody's healthy, number one, I will look up and down. What's the quality of your skin? Do you find yourself prone to having dryness, to having patches? Is your hair thick and full and lush? Do you find you're fatigued chronically? And above all else, how are you digesting food? Are you gassy? Are you bloated? Are you finding that food makes you drowsy and kind of groggy? Do you have high energy after eating? How are your bowel movements? These types of things, you know, I firmly believe our external appearance is a direct reflection of our internal. And if our insides are sick, it will show on the outside. We'll have that brittle hair, that dry skin, that pale color. We won't look vibrant and full of life. Mm. And I know you're really passionate about gut health, as I talked about in the bio. Why is this your area that you've really zoned in on? It kind of happened as a happy accident. You know, when I was years ago, uh, more than a decade now, actually, I was a paramedic. That was my first career. And when I transitioned from EMS, I really realized quickly it was more like sick care, you know, picking up the same people time and time again for the same diseases, the same illnesses to take them to the hospital to get more of the same drugs or get a different drug to mask the symptoms of the same disease. And no one was getting better. I really became a glorified taxi for the ill. And it's not what I wanted to do. It wasn't my intention of getting into healthcare. And so I left this sick care career, got into personal training. And this is my early 20s. And my first client or one of my first clients who came to see me named Lynn, she was on 17 pills and insulin for breakfast. She had nine pills and mm. insulin for bedtime. She had a CPAP machine, high blood pressure. She was dealing with all kinds of stuff. She was on the disability list at work. But by age 59, she was off all but two medications just due to a surgery. And she ended up breaking her first world record as a weightlifter in the raw powerlifting division. Wow. It was incredible. Wow. And that just showed me really what the human body is capable of. And after, again, more happy accidents, I ended up at a talk where they were talking about the gut biome and how connected it is and what it does. And I thought, I got to learn. I went back to school, became a nutritionist. And every client I had seen looking through and looking back both at the time and, of course, you know, looking back in time, I can realize and sometimes at the time did realize there were many clients dealing with stuff, anxiety, depression, skin issues, insomnia, irritability, other health issues, fatty liver, heart conditions, all these things. And always the common denominator across the board was their gut. And so once I started specializing, the rest was history. And when we say a bad gut, what does that really mean? Hmm. I want to say that's going to be a really subjective question. In general, I would define a bad gut as somebody, let's, let's talk about bad on a spectrum, right? Because yeah. I specialize for myself, I specialize in inflammatory bowel disease, which is Crohn's and colitis. So I help people mm -hmm. reverse those diseases. But if we look at the very low end of the spectrum, you get a little bloated after eating, you get a little bit of burping or acid reflux. The very severe end is 30 to 50 bowel movements a day with blood, right? It's a horribly oof. debilitating condition. And it really does, oof is right. It ruins people's lives. And so- when I say a bad gut, there's a severity of bad. It's like, how bad is your diet? Well, I eat McDonald's you know, every six months. The rest I'm eating fine. Okay. Is it ideal? No. Is it going to kill you right now? No. But if you ramp up the pace, then you're, you know, you're asking for problems. And so in the same way, I look at a bad gut as a low severity of spectrum, but it's less so, do I get bloated once or twice a year? You're probably fine. I really wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't pay a coach to go fix that for you. We have to understand the breakdown of your gut and the breakdown of your health, it's very similar. I liken it to wearing a pair of shoes without socks. 
and you start going for a walk or going for a run or a hike, it gets a little red, gets a little raw, it irritates until it blisters and bleeds. And you could wear down to the bloody bone eventually if you wanted to. And so that's sort of the severity of what I look at from the sliding scale of gut disease from just bloat all the way to th- something like, you know, Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. Mm. Is it normal to get a little bloating and gassy after things like broccoli and Brussels sprouts? Or should we not even be bro- bloating and gassy after that? Is it natural to have some gas? Well, it's an interesting question. And unfortunately, it's so variable, right? We're, we're kind of at a state right now where information is so rampant. It's doubling every couple of years, if not every few months at this stage. And so there's one end of the spectrum that'll say, eat only plants, go totally vegan. Mm-hmm. The other you know, spectrum goes full carnivore. And I do advocate for an animal-based diet. And I can tell you, working in gut and creating healthy guts for myself and my clients the best guts that I have seen are rarely gassy. Some of the worst guts I've seen often are due to an overconsumption of fibrous foods and plant-based vegetables. Mm. Plant, I guess all vegetables are plant-based, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, plant-based diets. And a lot of these excess fibers can lead to imbalances in the gut, along with things like antibiotics, medication, pesticides in our food, mm-hmm. all these different things. And so all these fibers or fermentable starches, fibers, carbs, they feed your gut bacteria. Right. I look at them like fish food into a fish tank, right? These are your prebiotics. They're the food. The probiotics are your fish. And those are the living organisms that eat and consume what the fish poop. They're good things or bad things. Are they pooping vitamins and minerals and things beneficial to your health? Or are they pooping out things that are causing you problems? Are they pooping out endotoxins? And so it depends on the imbalances, depends on what we feed. It depends on the state of your bacteria, what's dominant in there, the good or the bad and who's eating. So it's a hard question to answer, but a healthy gut, it may pass gas, but a healthy gut will not have smelly gas. Mm -hmm. Well, this is so interesting as I'm feeding my daughter. She's 20, 21 months old just today as we're recording this. And I, you know, have this feel very responsible for her gut microbiome. She's mm-hmm. still breastfed, which is great. That's amazing. Um, and she really loves meat. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, oh my God, am I giving her too much meat? Is she, is her gut too acidic? Um, and she, she does like some vegetables, but she really doesn't want much fruit with her meals. She mm-hmm doesn't really want much grain and that type of stuff. Like even like super starchy sweet potatoes and things like that she doesn't want. So I, but she just loves protein, meat, fish, (laughs) those types of things. And it's, I think a lot of the conditioning is that animal-based things are bad for our gut. They give us heart attacks and they aren't that healthy. So I'd love for your perspective on, and if I'm choosing grass-fed, bison, mm-hmm. lamb, lean cuts of meat, wild caught fish. Like I'm doing my best to choose the best quality protein that mm-hmm. I can, but I'd love your perspective on why animal-based is not like an unhealthy thing to do. You know, it's really interesting. And animal-based, they're the most bioavailable nutrients we can get. They're the most easily to digest, break down, absorb. The nutrients in them are more available to us. We can absorb more iron from meat than we can from plants. And unfortunately, a lot of the stuff that seems to make mainstream, a lot of the studies that'll say, you know, the vegan diet or the plant-based diet does ABC with the animal-based doesn't, a lot of that information is actually cherry-picked where 
you know, mm-hmm. we'll ignore certain data. We go, look, we, you know, lowered LDL cholesterol, but also HDL cholesterol in a bad way, but they ignore that or they'll measure waist. There was one that just came out recently and they measured waist circumference beforehand, but not after the fact. And we want to know mm-hmm. why, what are we not showing us? And so to take one metric and say, yep, it lowered this, therefore it's better than the rest without actually analyzing the rest. It's a half truth because we're not, we're not showing the whole picture. So people mm-hmm. are being misled, but it's interesting because we look at plant-based diets. The argument there is we need the fiber. It's good for your bacteria. It feeds your gut because you know in a lot of this, you can't break it down. A lot of the cellulose, like humans aren't designed to break down cellulose in plant material. And so they say it scratches the gut and it's good because you cannot break it down. On the other hand, don't eat meat because it's bad because you can't break it down. So you can't have it both ways. <laughs> Which one is it? Is it good because we can't break it down or bad? And so when I look at an animal-based diet, I eat an exceptional amount of red meat. I mean, mm-hmm. up to two pounds a day, every mm-hmm. day with every meal. And I've never felt better. I've mm-hmm. done the vegan lifestyle. I've tried. I put eight weeks in. I calculated every gram, every macro, every mm-hmm. micro. Vegan I, was I, awful I, for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just like you're falling apart at the seams. Your oh. joints hurt. Your moods hurt. Yeah. Sexual functions down. Sleep qualities down. Energy. Yeah. It was just the worst. Injuries were up. Mm-hmm. But the way I look at it, is this, we have, this is my simple overview of all the science, regardless of what we say, right? Because the vegan diet, you know, a lot of people say it's good for me. I'm doing well. And once in a blue moon, there will be people who are doing yeah, well. I think people been, you know, if it, if you're thriving on a vegan or vegetarian diet, awesome. Keep yeah. it. I just don't, I don't think there's one size fits all. For never, never anything. is. Yeah. Ever. Not yeah. socks, not medicine, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting because if we look at the the variety of foods, you could probably eat something like 98% of all animals on earth you could eat and you'd be perfectly fine, but you can mm-hmm. only eat about 2% of plants. The other 98% will kill you. And so if you're stuck on an mm-hmm. island, your choice is plants or animals, you're better off to eat the animal. Otherwise you might die. You know, mm-hmm. so when it comes down to it, I go back to ancestral, animal-based. I'm not against yeah. fruits and some vegetables. I even at home still make soups and I'll use carrots and other things and that's that. But it is very animal-based by about 90%. What fruit and vegetables do you like for the gut? Honestly, just about everything. I mean, mm-hmm. vegetables, and this is where I, I sit in the gray area because like you mentioned, there's never a one-size-fits-all. So I, I look at GI maps, which is basically the study of gut bacteria. It's a stool sample we send to a lab and they print out your GI bacteria and as much that we can possibly see all the strains, the good, the bad, in and out of balance, we can see everything as much as we can in 2023. And so when we take a look at this, it gives us a picture. Do we need more of or less of? And so I see people coming in with overgrowths and bacteria, right? Those are the people who would be burpy, bloaty, smelly gas, sugars, carbs. These cause them more issues than anything else. I tend to go very much meat-based, if not full carnivore, because we don't want to feed the fish in the pond because they're already way too many, right? We don't have room for this many and there's too much poop for us to clear. On the other hand, if I have somebody who's got a very low microbiome, I might introduce a lot of fermented vegetables that might be your sauerkrauts, your kimchi, fermented carrots, Mm. cauliflower. You can ferment anything. You can ferment meat. And so those things can introduce good microbes into the gut. So I don't believe from what I can see in my evidence in clinic or in in practice and what I see through the studies, it doesn't really look like unequivocally, we have to continue feeding the fish in the pond. They're self-sustaining in a lot of ways. It's until we kill them that it becomes a problem. But even looking at a forest, right? You can 
an Amazon rainforest that's well-grown, well-developed, like a baby's gut bacteria who's been vaginal birth, who's been breastfed for one, two mm-hmm. years without bottle feeding. These things are phenomenal plants, the seeds for this meadow to grow to a healthy rainforest. You can light the rainforest on fire. It will grow back. If you light a meadow, on fire, it's not going to grow back the same. And that's how I look at the gut as well. It can self-sustain at a certain point. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I did a stool test of my daughter when she was, I think, six to eight weeks old. Mm. And then I did another one, or maybe she was three months, something like that. And then I did another one after she was on solids for about six months. Mm. And it was such a difference. And I do my best to feed our really clean food. But the, the other thing that I think is affecting our gut microbiome, and I love Zach Bush. Zach, um, I love one, Zach Bush. Yeah. One of the things Zach Bush talks a lot about is, you know, our soil. And I'm going mostly to Whole Foods to buy my food, sometimes the farmer's market, but there's not a super great one near me. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea how long that food's been sitting in a truck or what mm-hmm. plastic it's been in or what temperature it was kept at. I mean, I know they have regulations, but I don't... I don't feel like it's super vital. So, you know, even those of us that are doing the best we can, and it was such, I mean, her gut wasn't awful after six months of food, but it was not as good as it was when she was Mm -hmm. breastfed after a vaginal birth. So it's like, how do we just deal with the environmental factors that are affecting our gut? Well, that really is a $60,000 question. You know, (laughs) it's, it's an uphill battle, unfortunately. You know, I recently done a lecture for Priority Health Academy and we were talking about Again, my specialty being IBD. So I use this as the stats. And those who listen to this call or listening to this interview who don't have inflammatory bowel disease, this is still relevant. Because remember, it's a sliding scale of severity from something as minor as bloat until it wears and tears until we have this bowel disease. And so if we look at our environmental factors, I mean, 10,000 years ago, you have a pretty cushy lifestyle. You get up, you work, you work hard, but you work in the sun, you're out in nature, you're barefoot in the grass. You might have to hunt, maybe there's the odd tribe war, but it's little things, right? Little stressors or major stressors and little bursts. Now it's chronic, nonstop. There's political stress, stress from the news, there's stress from your neighbor, there's stress on the internet, there's stress in our day-to-day, there's stress in finances and inflation. Everything's just going haywire. And so we're chronically under stress. That's, that's environment trigger number one. Number two is our foods. Back in 1990, compared till now, right, we've consumed two to four times the amount of pesticides, the actual volume of pesticides. We pour over a billion pounds of pesticides on our food every single year. And the variety of pesticide consumption is up 19 times in the last 30 years. And so we're consuming 19 times more different types of pesticides, which are known to kill everything. That's what that's their job. And so it's no coincidence that in the last 30 years, bowel disease has like five times over. And it's no coincidence that the United States of America is 5% or less of the global population, but they have more than 50% of all these diseases because of what we're putting in our food. It's because of not only the pesticides, but the things that we're allowed that are getting passed through. Like why do Lucky Charms as a breakfast cereal, which I'm obviously not a fan of anyway, but why do they need to have trisodium phosphate? That's the same thing we use in rat poison. <sighs> I know. Right? Why does why does Luck or uh, uh, Mountain Dew as a pop need all these food dyes or need know. you know bromelain, which is used in fire retardants? Like why are these in our food? And there's labels and red tape on American imported food in other countries like the UK. They put extra labels on them saying, you probably shouldn't eat this. It's known to Mm -hmm. cause cancer. It's known to cause dysbiosis. Mm -hmm. It's known to cause whatever. And so there's a whole rabbit hole to go down there, Christine. No, I know. And as as a parent, like... This is why I make her food at home. And I, I, there's some pouch companies that I like, but 
And for parents that, you know, don't have that or for parents and people that just don't have the time to cook meals from home that are eating on the go, even if you go to a restaurant and your food is cooked in seed oil or canola oil and you don't even know it, you know, I just feel like it's, it gets me so angry sometimes when I read ingredients of something, I'm just like, why is this in there? Like, why? Why are you putting a seed oil in there? Why do you need to dye this? <laughs> like, why does it need? Mm -hmm. And like kids medicine, oh my gosh, they make it taste so sweet. Like it doesn't need, kids don't have a craving for sweet until we start giving them sugar. And it, yeah, it gets me very fired up. I just want like simple things with simple ingredients and it's it's getting harder and harder to find. So rather than talk about the problem, <laughs> I'd love to talk about the solution. So let's start with like detoxing first. I think a lot of people, when they think, gut health, they need to go on a cleanse or they need to go on a detox. Mm -hmm. But I have mixed feelings about that. Cause I think when you go on a stress diet, when you have a stressed gut and then you go on like a massive cleanse or massive detox, sometimes that can add more stress to the gut. So I'd love your perspective on if someone's like, okay, I think my gut is off. I have like a lot of symptoms. Well, actually, let me back up. Let me first ask Sorry, my questions are out of order. Let me first ask, what are some, you mentioned some, but I'd love you to highlight them more. What are some of the key things you see that people go and throw medicine at? They try different things. They're, they're not getting a solution because the, the illness or the symptom or the disorder is actually coming from their gut. What are some of the top things you see? Top things I see. I mean, honestly, it'd be easier to ask what things I don't see because really the gut's connected <laughs> to everything. And I mean, everything, like we mentioned, 93% of the leading causes of death in the USA. And unless we mentioned that, we might've mentioned that before we even press record. So I'll hit that again for you, Christine. Mm -hmm. Our guts are directly connected to 93% of the leading causes of death in the USA. And so that means 93% of deaths we're calling normal are not actually normal ways to die. We're talking heart disease, cancer, strokes, diabetes, Alzheimer's, kidney and liver, Parkinson's, blood pressure. These things are not normal. And in every way, shape or form that either the gut is either directly responsible or can be directly responsible or has a major role to play in those disease processes. That's 14 out of 15 of the leading causes. The 15th leading cause is gonna be suicide, homicide, or accidents, injuries. So that means every cause of death that's not a homicide or an accident is an inflammatory disease process that your gut has a role to play, which means it's also entirely preventable. And so when we talk about the key things people throw or the, the supplements people throw at certain conditions, skin issues, very common one. It's something like 80% of kids or adults before age 20 will experience acne. We have 10% of the US has psoriasis on top of whoever else has other conditions, dry flaky skin and eczema. And so we throw topical ointments on top of those. Well, your outsides are a reflection of your insides and gut inflammation can directly lead to skin issues. Asthma, taking puffers. I had a client of mine a couple of years back. She had severe asthma as well as gut issues. We fixed her gut, her asthma went away because her asthma was triggered by inflammation in her gut circulating to the lungs. We see depression and antidepressants, anxiety, joint pain, and arthritis. We're taking medications for these things. They can all tie back to the gut. In many cases, the gut is directly responsible. And so I say it's easier to ask what conditions aren't we throwing things at? It really is almost everything. And I want to preface that just as a little bow around that statement to say every condition, every disease process in the human body is a byproduct of dysfunction, unquestionably full stop. Now, there are small genetic things like somebody who's born 
with chromosomal issues who maybe has Down syndrome, that's different. We're talking diseases that develop, right? Whether it's irritable bowel or heart disease or fatty liver, whatever it is, these are byproducts of breakdown and those breakdown processes create symptoms. Those symptoms get labeled as a disease. Then your doctor gives you a drug to mask those symptoms, but that's all they're doing. They're not actually fixing the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this kind of ties into my detoxing and cleansing question. Like, where do we start for like, okay, I have a condition that I can't get to the bottom of. I have infertility or I have IBS or I have thyroid condition or I have foggy brain or I have, you name it. Where do we start with treating our gut? Like, do we need to actually get a stool test to know what our gut is doing or are there things we can do without doing that? That's a great question. You know, a lot of these things are multifactorial and I have people come after me. Well, it can't all be gut. Sometimes it's not, but the gut has a major role and sometimes it's solely responsible, but there are often other things, especially infertility. It's very complicated. It depends. Have you been on birth control in the past? Are you now dealing with PCOS from the birth control you were on? Like where do these issues actually stem from? And so you have to peel back the layers. We're talking about where to start. A GI map is great. If you have really bad gut issues, you can't seem to find any diet or protocol that gets it under control, I would recommend getting a GI map. The contention will say between GI mapping, a lot of doctors will say they're useless tests. They don't really tell us enough. Here's what we need to know. Our gut bacteria is extraordinarily vast. It outnumbers our own cells in our own body by 10 to 1. So about 10 trillion cells in your body, about 100 trillion gut bacteria. They integrate with every aspect of all of you. They do so much. They help detox. They produce vitamins. They balance hormones. They're responsible. 70 to 90% of your immune system actually comes from your gut. So it's tied into every aspect of your being. And a GI map out of these 20 million bacteria varieties we have, there's one to 2,000 species, seven to 9,000 strains, gives us 18 million, 20 million or so different types of bacteria multiplied out to this 100 trillion. In a GI map, we can see about 100 of these species out of about 20 million. So it really is like a grain of sand on a beach. And this is why doctors will say, well, it's a useless test. Unfortunately, Western medicine has sort of come to this conclusion that unless we can say unequivocally, unquestionably, this is the thing, we have to ignore it. So it's completely innocent till proven guilty, which is where this correlation causation argument comes in. But the thing about a GI map, we have so much research around the bacteria, species, and strains that we can see. The 50 to 100 we can see on a map are extraordinarily actionable. And so if you're having issues in your gut, and it's severe enough that no diet or dietary change on either side of the spectrum from plant to carnivore is helping, it is worth getting a GI map. However, if you're just having mild gut issues, then slowing down, doing basic things, sit down while you eat, breathe in between bites, maybe try a digestive enzyme, don't eat on the go, You know, sip water only 30 minutes before, during, and after meals so you're not chugging water to dilute your stomach acid, digestive enzymes. These are very basic practices and eating, of course, clean, whole, natural foods that your great-great-grandmother would recognize, sometimes it's all people need. Sometimes they do need more extreme intervention if they're on that severity spectrum. I mean, I think GI tests are, are great. Like, I think you, we can learn a lot from our stool. I know people might be like, oh my gosh, it's so gross. But I, I, I definitely <laughs> think that it helps, at least in, in my experience and even with my daughter, like it helps me really see, okay, where can I what probiotic can I put in? Does she need probiotic or prebiotic? Like what Mm. foods can I add in? Like where, 
is there inflammation? So there's a company, I'll, I'll give a promo in the intro. Um, there's a company called Tiny Health, which does stool tests. I really love them. And and have you heard of Tiny Health? I have. I, yeah. They're not one of my favorite labs, but they do some good stuff for sure. Tell me why they're not one of your, your favorites. I prefer as a clinician, and this, now Tiny Health, is, I would say, is very great. It's kind of like the Apple iPhone compared to a right. fully customized Android. It can give a lot of good actionable steps. What I like as a clinician, I like to see both quantitative and qualitative. Mm-hmm. Tiny Health, along with Viome and other different labs, will often give you a check, like green, yellow, or red. Lots, right. medium, not. Otherwise, I can go to other labs like Vibrant Wellness or Diagnostics or Mosaic. And they give me a quantitative analysis to tell me in count using qPCR data where they actually replicate and count. They can tell me in ratio how many of what bacteria are there, which helps me actually craft treatments, how much length of time, dosing, and protocols that I can use to create to correct severity. But you're right, like Tiny Health is lovely. I actually had a chance to chat with them recently, and they do a lot of great qualitative, which is Mm. fantastic for the gen pop just looking to brush up on stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think of something like Genova Diagnostics? It's a little more in depth. I'm talking about, yeah. Okay. Yeah. A little more expensive, but worth it to me. And this is, you know, this is my theory on health. Like I'd rather spend more money preemptively than a lot more money down the line treating disease and disorder. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything, there's two things I've invested the most money in, in my life. <laughs> my health and my personal development. I consider personal development part of health, but to me, it's like, we are our own best investment. And if we're not really getting clear on our health, because I still think there's way too much emphasis on how we look and how much we weigh versus actually how healthy we are. And our gut is such a huge marker of our health. You know, I, treated SIBO years ago and there's mixed reviews on does SIBO exist and does a treatment exist or whatever. But the protocol I did really made a change in my life. Like I had a lot of, I mean, this is probably TMI for my audience, but you'll like this, Josh. (laughs) I had a lot of the stinky gas, a lot of bloating. And after I treated the SIBO through the protocol I did, that just was eliminated. And I think that, that, I mean, I think there was a lot of things that contributed to why it was so easy for me to get pregnant later in life. But I, I, I know that the treating my gut was something that contributed to being able to get pregnant and have a pretty decent pregnancy, not, not pretty decent, a really great pregnancy and a home birth. So gut health, like you said, impacts all areas of our life. So we talked about the diagnostic. We didn't quite get to cleansing and detoxing. How do you feel about that? I know that's a big questions. So if you want to laser in on something specific, feel free. Yeah, it is a really big question. And that's, that's great because I think if you ask 10 practitioners, that general question, they'll all answer it in a slightly different way. And for me, when I talk about detoxing, I will always approach it very cautiously because again, working in the severity of gut dysbiosis that I see that's imbalancing gut bacteria, be it good or bad or all the above, there's a lot of toxins produced in the body. And so Mm. we look at detoxing, we have to recognize your body has a few detox mechanisms. So first and foremost, you're going to see things like your liver, you'll have your gut, your skin, even your lungs that can off gas some stuff, uh, but kidneys, lymphatics, Mm. these are your primary detox mechanisms. And if they're clogged up, I look at it like having two cups, right? My first cup are all these toxins being built in the body. The second cup 
is my detox mechanisms trying to get rid of them? If they're blocked up, if I'm not detoxing, if I'm not active, I'm not in the sun, I'm not grounding and earthing, I'm not eating well, they're going to block up. The second cup is going to be full. So you start to build up these toxins in cup one inside the body. You can no longer empty the cup two to get rid of because that overflow creates problems. And so a lot of people go in and say, well, I got bad bacteria. I've got this. I got that. Let me just jump on a detox. And they jump on all these things. And so cup one, the toxins in the body, try to empty into cup two, which is your liver, kidneys, lymphs, detox mechanisms, but it's already full. So now it overflows and you have symptoms and it can be very severe. We can develop certain variables, what's called a Herxheimer reaction, which is basically a toxic overload. It can lead to minor stuff, joint pain, anxiety, mm -hmm. depression, um, bowel issues, whatever else to severe issues like kidney and liver damage. And so I'm very cautious, depending on the severity of the individual on how we detox, I will promote natural detoxification first by allowing your liver bumping up the vitamins and the minerals, the things you need, getting into the sun, infrared saunas, sweating, hydrating, basic foods. You can do that first. You also have to reduce the toxins in your home. So go and do a toxic inventory. Count the ingredients that are not natural in your perfumes, your candles, your body soaps. Mm -hmm. your I know yodas. the candle thing really disappoints me because I love candles. <laughs> I know, I know. My wife too, she's got them all the time. And I'm like, can we put that on the porch? <laughs> and so we have to start looking at the things that are contributing to our toxic load, eliminate or reduce those as much as we possibly can. And everyone's got a preference on what they're willing to eliminate. I'm happy to live in the jungle. My wife's like, that's stupid. I want candles. So we compromise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are there any candles you like? I just have to ask the candle question. Are there any Leaves. you like? There is one. I don't know if you've ever smelled leaves. I don't know if it's just a Canada thing, but it smells like Christmas and fall at the same time. That's the brand leaves, like trees, like leaves. The scent on a tree? is called leaves. I know uh, Bath and Body Works used to sell them. The scent was called leaves. That's and the it's only not toxic. One. Oh, it is. It's horrible. Yeah. Oh, oh. I mean, candles <laughs> a, you like in terms of like not toxic. I was like Bath and Body Works. That's just a toxic farm that's factory. That's cool. No, that's that one would be my guilty pleasure if I were to have candles oh, okay. in the house. That would be the one. Okay. Candles I do like, honestly, if I'm going to use anything, it would be essential oils. Yeah. 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 yeah I know. Candles yeah. are just so pretty though. They're pretty. They smell nice, oh. <laughs> but they contribute to this toxic load, unfortunately, like everything else. And so that- What detox... about just white candles, unscented white candles, just for atmosphere? Mm, interesting question. Still so bad? again, I won't say bad, good. It's all on a spectrum of severity of all right, the right, things. Right, right, it's right. probably a one out of 10. On the other mm -hmm. end, you are releasing parabens and wax and other chemicals I into know. the air to make the candle, but it's the most benign thing of all of it. Like I cook all my food on a barbecue. I barbecue twice a day sometimes, at least every day. And so to say that fire is bad, like how extreme are we going to go? I don't microwave right. my food. I do heat everything on the stove or on the barbecue. Right. I will not use a microwave, but I'm not going to avoid all char and all fire. Like I'm just, I'm not yeah. going to do that. Yeah. So, yeah. Barbecue yeah. is so good too. And I barbecue in the winter. I love it. All yeah. No, that's the best time. The summer is just so hot. Okay. Sorry. I interrupted you. So <laughs> we're going to like decrease our toxic load. Yes. What else? So once we've decreased our toxic load, we're no longer contributing to what goes into cup one, your body's total toxic burden. And then we want to actually promote the emptying of cup two, which is your detox pathways, your liver, your lymph, kidneys, all that stuff. So exercise, active sweating. People will say, well, I don't sweat. That's because your detox pathways are blocked up. Go for lymphatic massage, get into an infrared sauna, take a hot and cold shower, like sit in a hot bath and steam yourself till you start sweating, have a cold shower after. And basic stuff, vitamins and minerals, 
We are lacking so much in our food and we need them not only for every aspect of our health, but also for even basic things like detoxing and what your body does to clean itself, basic cellular processes. And so, you know, there are studies suggesting this was back from like 2004, 2005, University of Texas did a study of a bunch of foods and they found, or they figured that you'd have to eat eight oranges today to get the same nutrients as your great grandmother would have in one orange. And that's because of agriculture, because the earth can't breathe. I know Zach Bush talks about this one a lot where we're tilling our soil. There's no microbiome in the earth anymore. There's no, what we call biogeochemical cycling, which is for example, an apple grows on a tree it falls to the ground, it rots and decomposes, the cow eats the grass, I eat the cow. That is biogeochemical cycling or carbon cycling. We don't get that in modern agriculture. Everything's tilled. It's dirt that's dead to hold a sea pumped with fertilizer. But there's no natural nutrients. And so we're lacking basic things. And ugh is like the minimum response that I give mm-hmm. to this because it's so severe. And so getting those basics promotes your own detoxification. And once that's done, if there are fungal overgrowth, candida or whatever else, or bacterial overgrowth in the body, only then is it safe to tackle. Otherwise, glass one will overflow glass two and you actually can get very, very sick and make things much, much worse. Yeah. Yeah. If people are looking for a practitioner to help them with this, who should they be looking for? What kind of qualifications? Mm. So this is where things get a little muddy because unfortunately... I work with a lot of doctors who are just wonderful, but even not all doctors, what we consider to be sort of the pinnacle of professional medicine are not created equally. And Mm -hmm. so uh, first thing you'd want to do is definitely qualifications. How long have they been doing this? How successful are they? Who do they work with? Who do they engage with and interact with? You know, because typically your sphere dictates a lot about you. They often will say you're the sum average of your five closest friends, both in personality and finances and behaviors and patterns. And I think the same is with professionals. If you're working, for lack of a better term, with a bunch of bums who just don't really care, don't Mm -hmm. want to better themselves or running business strictly, business is business, there has to be profit. But I do this because I love it. You know, the money Mm -hmm. is a second. There are cases I take on for free. There have been cases where I've, you know, paid for things for clients who can't afford them out of the profit from other clients. And that's just what we need to do as healthcare practitioners. It's kind of like being a public servant, I believe. And so there are instances where this comes up. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people happy to sell garbage because it makes a buck. And so Mm -hmm. really vetting your practitioners. But I know a lot of practitioners who have no qualifications and credentials. Most of them are self-taught or they have certificates for things, but they're not medical doctors. And they're out there. Like I'm, I'm not the best of the best. I'll tell you that right now. There are people who are smarter than me. There always will be. And yet I'm still in these circles helping educate doctors. And I don't. my only certifications, I'm a holistic nutritionist, I'm an ex-paramedic, and I'm self-taught. And I'm going through functional medicine training but it's been experience and understanding. And I've got coaches and mentors who are either doctors or are in the same boat as me where it's been self-taught that I'm using a lot of this information now to also teach doctors. And so it's really hard to say, and that's the most unfortunate part. I wish, Christine, I could give you a very straightforward answer. Look for mm. A, B, C, and D, and you'll be fine. But there's so much muddy gray area around our practice and what we do, and it's really hard to beam on anything. Mm. All right. So, well, one of my best ways to call in the right practitioners is through meditation, like really asking Mm. the universe to bring me the right person, the right teacher, the right practitioner. And it really works. (laughs) Really, really works. That would be one of my recommendations is set the intention, put it out there, start asking people. 
people. Do you still, you still work individually with people, correct? I do. Yeah. I do some yeah. one-on-ones more rarely. I try to keep mm-hmm. them in a semi-private just for cost. You know, my mm-hmm. entire thing around my programs and what I do for, for inflammatory bowel disease has really been to make it as accessible to as many people as I can while still obviously, you know, not going bankrupt trying to do it. And so we found this nice hybrid, but I do take on the odd one-on-one for those who prefer to, but you know, I think looking for the right practitioner, like you said, I've had people say, Hey, look, you know, I did some meditation or I prayed on it and I really feel like I'm being led to this or to you or to whoever. And I say, great. Like it's gotta be a right fit for you. Do an interview. When you come in for one of my programs, for example, I interview you to see if I can help you, but you should also be interviewing me. Am I a good fit? Does what I say resonate? Does it kind of give you a feeling where like, mm-hmm. mm, that feels weird? Great. You don't have to work with me. Find somebody who does resonate and do that with every practitioner you can you come across. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So I know we said there's no one size fits all and we're all individual, but what are some things as we wrap up here, Josh, what are some things that most people can do to start benefiting their gut health? Let's talk food, nutrition, supplements, and exercise. What what can we do to be a little more proactive here? So we're talking about, obviously, like you said, no, it's never a one size fits all, but there are things because every body is individual. They're very unique because of both genetics. I mean, you and I, Christine, having never met outside of this call here across the world, we share 99.9% of our DNA but we only share about 20 to 30% of the genes or the genetic material inside of our gut bacteria, right? So it's, it's very vast and different. So in that regard, it is very, very different. But on the other hand, if we talk about human physiology, we're all humans. Whether you believe in God, whether you believe in a big bang, it doesn't matter. We came from the same place. And so we have to understand there are going to be commonalities. That's how science happens. That's how studies happen. That's how medications come around is because we have commonalities. So first and foremost, Every human should be eating food. And when I talk about food, I mean real food, food that is typically on the perimeter of the grocery store, food that your great, great grandmother would recognize. If she wouldn't recognize it, you shouldn't be eating it because it will cause you a problem. And this again comes back to that correlation causation argument. You know, there are some professionals out there who say, well, red dye 40, there's no studies conclusively proving it's bad. I'm like, yeah, but there's 400 correlative studies showing it promotes autism or ADHD or gut disease or inflammation of whatever kind. So how many times do you see the thief in the room or do you see things go missing before that one guy who's always been around, you think he's the one stealing it. So maybe stop inviting him to your party. You know what I mean? And see if things still go missing. And so we're lacking a lot of that, I think. And so number one, just look at food. And if you want to verify that once further, go back to a lot of these indigenous tribes, you know, living in Africa or the Amazon or a lot of places off the coast of India that are still untouched by modern civilization. They do not have infertility like we do. They do not have diabetes. They don't have obesity or Alzheimer's or fatty liver or kidney disease or blood pressure problems. They just don't have them. Their teeth are white and straight and they don't floss or brush. And this is the difference in health. And so If you want to verify with studies, ignore that. Go right back to what's in front of your own eyes. So food is number one, the whole foods, the natural foods from planet earth. Number two, in the nutrition side, obviously a lot of our food and agriculture is missing a lot of nutrients like we talked about. So a nice high quality vitamin supplement, a nice high quality mineral supplement and eat fatty meats good fatty foods because it's the most bioavailable sources. If you can afford grass-fed, grass-finished, organic, if you can't from the store because those labels 
frankly, they're expensive to have. And I just done an episode on my podcast recently talking about sort of the the hoodwinking of the industry. Well, they'll say, well, it's farm raised and cage free. Perfect. All animals come from farms and chickens aren't raised in cages. So that those words mean nothing. So it's just, it's words to like lull people into this small hometown feel. It's romanticizing language. And so understanding your labels is another big one and replacing what's missing from our food. So that also covers, I guess, nutrition and supplements. Everybody should be taking a nice, easy, I don't like vitamin tablets. There are a lot of binders and junk. They're hard to absorb, but nice powdered or capsules, uh, minerals and other things and exercise. Tablets versus capsules. Mm -hmm. So you don't like those chunky vitamin capsules. You like more of the tablets that are in the little clear things you can pull apart and there's powder in them. That's the one. Yeah. So when I say tablet, it's the hard one. You can like bang with a hammer and it turns into powder versus the ones you just open up. Um, Yeah. Yeah, because the binders to make those tablets often can hold on to a lot of the good stuff and can sort of prevent it from getting into your system properly. And so the last one you were asking about was exercise. And having a background in exercise, obviously, since a teenager, being a personal trainer and a coach and all kinds of stuff, I can tell you firsthand, the vast majority of people I see are actually doing too much in the gym. We are nonstop stress. And I say stress, it's not just like psychological, fought with my spouse, stuck in traffic, finance stress. It's everything that requires excess resources or energy from the body as a stressor. By definition, chewing your food and digesting is technically a stressor. You're using muscles, which are using energy. Now, sleep is a very low-grade stressor, but you're still alive. You're still utilizing energy all the way up to going to the gym, working out, or running from a bear. And so we're onto these constant, constant medium to high-grade stressors. Very rarely do we get these low-grade stressors. And so we're into the gym. We're doing HIIT workouts, these high intensity. We're working till failure nonstop. It would be shocking to most people to see how much they would benefit from 60 to 70% intensity in the gym, just getting up and moving, doing more breath work. Yes, strength train, maybe not going quite till total failure, but working to a moderate intensity, improving, say, time under tension. So slowing your reps down rather than doing more faster and harder and just mm-hmm. letting your body be. In all my experience with this woman I mentioned, Lynn, 57 years old when she started, 26 pills a day plus all the things. By the time she was a powerlifter, age 59, she broke her first record, kept breaking them till 61, 62. One out of maybe six or eight of her workouts were above 80% intensity. The rest was basic movement, time under tension, muscle control, and she excelled. But that's because we're matching our training to the current stressors of modern life. And that's very important to understand from a physiology standpoint. Mm, I love that. Oh, Josh, this has been so informative. Thank you for for your passion in this um, and helping us really be reminded once again of the gut brain, gut body, gut everything connection, (laughs) giving us some, some things we can take into consideration right now. You know, I would say if there's to my audience, if there's one thing you want to invest in this year, maybe get a stool test, get a gut test and get an idea of what's going on in there, because then you have, you you know, you're not gonna be wasting money throwing supplements and different things. And a practitioner will be able to help you more if you have some kind of, you know, test. I mean, that's at least how I go about it. I'm sure you can work with someone really intuitive that will know things, Mm -hmm. but I I always like data, (laughs) you know, maybe I'm I'm just a data geek, but I like data. Where can people go to learn more about you and your services? Well, best way is probably to find me, I'd say at my website, I have a couple of websites for different things. Let's start with the podcast. Uh, The podcast is called Reversible, the ultimate gut health podcast. I know we really did just just scratch the surface. And so in this show, we do talk about 
all the things. We talk about what the gut's connected to and how things in our world affect our guts and vice versa and how our guts affect our lives in our world from all the things from some of the world's most famous doctors and specialists, many of which I'm sure you've had on your show. And so it's a really interesting bit. And you can find information about my services and websites. If someone is dealing with IBD, we do work globally. There's a contact form there or a work with me. And that can be found at reversiblepod.com. And that's reverse able. So play on words. Great to write. looks really good on paper, but it's really hard to explain with words. But that's reverseablepod.com. Right. Thank you so much, Josh, for all your wisdom. Appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on, Christine. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure.